Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us once again for TLC Presents Toddversations. We are thrilled once more to have you join us, whether you're in your car, at your desk, hiding from your boss, whatever the case may be. We're excited to keep bringing you people and brands and ideas and things that are going on out there that I believe that need to be uplifted and talked about. So welcome, please. Carmen Rottenberg sitting over there, everybody in our Global Hi. Galactic audience. Carmen, 350 billion people galactically are watching this right now, so no pressure on you whatsoever. Carmen is the Managing Director of Groundswell Strategy. Groundswell is a Washington, D.C. consulting firm that's focused on customizing strategic approaches with their clients that interact within the regulatory agencies, which is a really interesting topic and an interesting conversation right now, especially amongst a new administration and a different uh, USDA, et cetera. But before we do that, let me... Uh, let me give you a little background on Carmen because it's incredibly impressive. Carmen has left uh, the USDA after a 13-year career back in 2020 to start Groundswell. She started her career with the Federal Trade Commission in the Office of General Counsel. Uh, she has served as a Food Safety Inspection Service Deputy Administrator. She's held several leadership roles in the USDA, including Acting Deputy Undersecretary for the USDA Office of Food Safety, baller role, by the way, not a small job, uh, as well as administrator for the Food Safety Inspection Service. She's executed a budget over a billion dollars of our taxpayer money, and she's done it by prioritizing resources and resolving disputes uh, and advancing the agency's vision, platform, and their goals. Carmen is also credited with spearheading and implementing several key agency initiatives in recent years, including modernizing the food safety inspection system. And implementing, now folks at home, if you're playing along with us, the first person that can call into your to our operators with the correct answer to what I'm about ready to say, you're going to win a great prize. But we don't have any prizes and we don't have an operator, but go ahead and dial anyways. She's implementing the Sulorformes inspection and establishing an updated pathogen performance standards. Carmen, help me here. Did I say it right? Sulorformes, yes, you did. That's what I said. You did That's a great job. You did, Todd. You said it great. You said Thank you very much. So those, so everybody that's sitting right now thinking and guessing, what is that, Carmen? Catfish. 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 That's what I'm talking about. And uh, fun fact, uh, Secretary Purdue, when he was coming into uh, USDA, this was one of the first things I had to brief him on. And so I got the nickname Catfish Carmen. For the <laughs> oh, oh, my God. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you right now, Carmen, that I just got done talking with somebody. We've just done another one of these. And one of the stories, one of the questions I ask people is tell me something that people don't know about you. And you're right. And, and, and at that very moment, he had the lead because he was caught in an avalanche. But I'm going to say that I'm going to have to put it out to vote. The catfish, Carmen, might replace the avalanche story. It might. I don't know. We're going to let the studio audience judge that. We are so thrilled that you're here with us today, Carmen, and hanging out a little bit and chatting um, because I think that. This is a topic and, and what you do in D.C. and the process of what you do, in some ways, I think is a little bit misunderstood. When people hear strategists in D.C. or lobbyists in D.C., they think golf outings, expensive dinners, you know, all this other stuff that gets caught up. Um, it, it, I think of kind of a false narrative about what you actually do and provide to, service to, because D.C. is about understanding what's going on in the world. Those guys aren't all subject matter experts. People in Congress aren't subject matter experts. And you come in and you answer questions and you provide information and you provide a, a, a thing, a, a, a level of service and conversation that I think is really needed to help advance whatever sector it is, food, fiber, automotive, all of it. It's really an important part. So I'd like to start off a little bit and try to get everybody to help understand what a strategist in DC actually does and why it's an important role. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This is a lot of fun. So, you know- We just I, got started. Just wait till the end. Wait till the prizes come out. I mean, there's more to go. Trust me. Uh, I thought the gift was just spending the hour with you, Todd. <laughs> well, that's true too. <laughs> it is a gift. Um, so I left government in order to start uh, this consulting firm because of what I saw in government. You know, um, companies so often that are regulated and so many industries are regulated, most industries are regulated, but especially in the ag sector, they come to government, to the, to the leadership in um, regulatory agencies when they've got a problem. And if you're coming to a regulated agency when you've got a problem and you haven't already formed those relationships, um, it's going to be a bit harder for you. You're going to have a bit, bit harder of, of a way to go. And so mm -hmm. Government affairs folks, strategists, consultants in D.C., um, they're a company's eyes and ears in D.C. in terms of what's going on in terms of legislation, um, what's going on in the executive branch, where a new administration is going. And they're also your, your sort of lifeline to the, to the folks that are working in the regulatory um, community, in the, regu in, the, in the regulatory agencies. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so uh, I saw it done wrong a lot of times when I was administrator at FSIS, and I wanted to help companies do it right. You know, I'm really on a mission to help companies um, strategize how they interface with all their stakeholders. And so... Congress is obviously a stakeholder, the executive branch is a stakeholder, but trade associations um, and other segments and in industry are also stakeholders and consumers, uh, especially in today's environment. So um, trying to put all those pieces together and strategize on a best way forward in order to meet company goals and uh, meet and exceed company goals. That's really, that's really what I do. So it's, it's, and I think that's such, you said, you said it eloquently, and I think that people don't really understand what that all is. Again, I go back to what I said earlier. It's all the bells and whistles they perceive. And it's really a very important part about moving our government forward yeah. and making sure that there is clear understanding of what's going on. And that, again, the subject matter experts have an opportunity to share to try to help drive positivity back into whatever system it is. In this case, obviously, it's agriculture. So you touched a little bit about Groundswell's mission. And, and I want to just kind of come back to that because I, when I hear that you you left USDA because you saw it, people doing it wrong and saw an opportunity to help change that, I think that's extremely commendable. But I want to touch a little bit. What is Grantswell's mission? I mean, what what is? Can you can you elaborate a little bit more on it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I really want to see for my clients. I want to see a change in how they're interfacing with the regulatory agencies. Um, I want to change the dynamic. Uh, it's good for a company to be proactive in their approach with regulatory agencies, but it's also really important for the regulators to know what's going on in the industry that they're regulating. And so I, the mission is really collaboration, um, working on a much more collaborative approach. I am called by my uh, former colleagues at USDA all the time, career employees, dedicated public servants, um, who, you know, you mentioned this early on, but really are looking for what finger on the pulse what's going mm -hmm. on you know mm -hmm. and, and that's a it should be a two-way street and oftentimes it's not um and and uh, and, but it should be uh, and right. the same is true for the hill offices i mean government affairs shops have their specialties and my specialty really is the food safety public health regulatory agencies right i i think it's i think that is so cool i mean i, I really and i love the fact that you come from such a unique position right a position of i get it let me help fix it, right? And I think that's just absolutely fantastic. Um, 
Why does it matter though? I mean, you know, we touched on it a little bit, but I mean, it's like, why does it matter? Because it's, it's not a free service. It is what it is. And, 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 you know, but companies, you know, in my experience are very deeply involved working with folks like you to have that pulse, to understand what's going on. Um, but why does the work matter and who really does it matter to? Yeah. So it's, um, it's a great question. And I think that companies that choose to invest in the government affairs work, whether it's internally or whether they hire someone like me, really do see a return on that investment in terms of the relationships that they um, then have. Um, it, you can say it's an insurance policy a bit, because if you've already established good relationships within the government, you're going to be that much better off if you have a crisis, end up in a mm -hmm. crisis situation. But there's also, I mean, in today's agricultural world, there's so much to be done um, in innovation, at the innovation that companies are doing, both in technology um, and, uh, and also approaches and processes, the government won't ever know about those things if you're not telling them about it. And so being able to um, have regulations that positively impact your brand, your business model, uh, you're never going to get that if you're not interfacing and telling them what you do. Um, right. And so there's lots of folks out there who will say, well, I don't really care if the government buys into what I'm doing or not. It doesn't matter to me. And that's okay, but your competitors are investing in that and they are right. seeing return on investment, right? So um, so I think that's why it matters, but it also matters to, I, I, I also will say, it also matters to the government um, because mm -hmm. the government does really rely on folks like me who have served, who they know, who they can call and get an honest opinion um, and get honest information. Um, and it's, it's, it's how our government works and is able to operate efficiently. There's the public process and then there's the private conversations and, um, and, and I want to move ag forward in those private conversations. Right. I love that. I think too, and you know, and if you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people probably perceive is that as you have an administration change, every single employee in the USDA is gone and they just start over on, you know, with headhunters and, you know, trying to find new people. And that's not the case. And you said it earlier. The yeah. vast majority of everybody are career public servants who have devoted right. their life to government service, serving our country, serving our, our, our communities, um, whether it's career USDA people or people that have advanced in other agencies. But I think that's something people don't recognize. I mean, the layers that are new yeah. aren't very deep. They're not. I mean, when you look at an agency like the Food Safety and Inspection Service, every single employee in the Food Safety and Inspection Service is a career employee. So the political appointees are in the secretary's office and there is an office of food safety. But FDA is the same thing. Uh, CDC, these are agencies, public health agencies that thank goodness have um, career employees that serve over administrations over the course of different administrations. What happens in new administrations where you see a change sometimes is in the policy. Um, and uh, certainly part of government affairs work is how do we drive the policy in order to be in line with, um, with you know, my company's uh, uh, goals and strategic right. objectives. Yeah. Right, right. So getting a little bit deeper down this trail, I thought with, with you a little bit. So what work are you doing, you know, at Groundswell right now that kind of underscores those efforts and are driving some changes? So um, on the on the produce side, really doing a significant amount of work to um, with United Fresh and with Produce Marketing Association on, uh, on traceability initiatives um, and 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 really 
giving the industry, both helping the industry understand what it is the government's really trying to do, because sometimes in a 68 page proposal, you know, it's hard to tell what they're trying to do. Only 68 pages? That seems small for a government document. <laughs> within the document. So I am not, I'm not trying to be both on my friends at FDA. Um, but, you know, government speak is tough. You know, and so sort of working for clients that I have in in order to um, to partner with the trade association, who really is submitting those comments and 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 doing that work. I mean, certainly as we look at um, the the organic sector and 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 some of the uh, historical historic challenges that we've seen in the organic sector sector in terms of embracing innovation and in certain. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that that bothers me. I think it bothers USDA. And so trying to move forward, you know, we have to we have to embrace technology and innovation. Um, it's important for production, for efficiencies. And uh, and, and certainly that's not something we, we don't want to get bogged down in the ways of some of, of, of other parts of the world um, that sort of stifle that innovation. So um, working on some of that on the food safety, uh, meat and poultry side, um, working really significantly with a couple of clients to drive down rates of foodborne illness and partnering with government on data analysis and, and what can industry do in order to sort of advance FSIS goals. So I've got a lot of exciting work going on, um, but all of it comes down to how do we how do we position how do how do, how does a company position itself um, to achieve success with the government uh, and 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 really I mean innovate is a big part of what I'm doing. I think that's that's fabulous. And you know when you think about the ag sector and technology, for one, you know I think that sometimes we for I think we get stuck with the and or or mentality. Yes. Yes. Right. And I believe that we need to start to embrace the and mentality because I think it's how we're going to get the ball down the field that we have more billions of people to feed. You know, sitting here in California today, hearing news reports of the worst drought in 125 years. And, you know, this is just starting. We haven't even got to, you know, June, July. It's going to be 105 degrees in San Joaquin Valley next week. Yeah. These are real legitimate problems that technology has helped. And I know it's sometimes it's a challenge, um, but it's common. You know, I, I always say it's kind of like the payphone cell phone, right? I'm sure the payphone guys are pretty ticked off at the cell phone guys, but we all embraced it because it's what's next. And I think it's important we recognize that. Um, what do you think the biggest pressing issue right now is in DC when it comes to the ag sector? So, I mean, and, and you're sort of leading right into it with that comment. I mean, sustainability is the is a buzzword and has been a buzzword for a long time but when you start looking at how can we met as a as a country how can we measure sustainability efforts and how and and in what ways is agriculture actually the solution because so many times agriculture is sort of attacked as being the problem um which is it's, it's just not true uh and right. innovation and certainly there's innovative um techniques um that the 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 entire ag sector um, is is implementing, uh, but there's really some exciting advancements. Um, and, uh, and and you and I do some work on greenhouse in greenhouses and and certainly I think that the some of the technologies employed there is is really exciting. Uh, and when we look at sustainability metrics, the innovation is what's going to get us to the, the government's goals. Um, and, and that's true across that's true just across ag. So sustainability, um, climate, 
other countries are looking at setting, you know, UN is looking at some standards, voluntary standards, and how is that going to impact exports? Um, U.S. government is keenly aware that there are, uh, we sort of have, we sort of, in some ways, we've lost a few years in terms of talking and telling the story of agriculture because um, the last administration wasn't interested in doing that. But uh, we have to tell the story. Companies need to tell the story. Government needs to tell the story. And, and we're a little bit behind telling the story, but we're not behind in terms of the innovation, innovative technologies that are being employed in the sector. Well, there's no doubt. And, and I've had the good fortune of playing around in, in a multiplicity of, of um, ag tech world. And it's fascinating to me. It's, um, it, it's farming 2.0 in a lot of ways. And I know that it scares people in some ways. And it's, it's a threat, you know, capitalistic threat, perhaps, and these other things. And I get that. And I understand both sides. I'm a dirt guy. I started in the dirt. I love the dirt. I played the dirt as a kid. Um, but we also have an administration that's standing up on the pulpit saying climate, climate, climate. And rightfully right. so, because we've got some issues that I don't think that you and I in our lifetime are going to see solved, sadly to say. And yeah. if we don't start embracing these hard conversations with an and and not an or, I think we sell ourselves short. And I and it's just really hard to look at standing here today, knowing that I have guys that I know that are not putting water on some of their trees, they're going to die because they don't have water. It's hard to look away from technology saying that can make a difference because we have to feed people, right? That's kind of the goal. We need food, we need water, we need sunshine. And I think sometimes technology takes our mind off of the kind of the, the, the core issue, which is the food. The food. <laughs> it's, and feeding, it's and feeding the food. people. And, and feeding people. I mean, it's um, there's room for there's there's room for a multiplicity of, of business models. Sure. Uh, and uh, and consumers, if this pandemic has shown us any, anything, it's that um, consumers really they value high quality products and they want them at affordable prices. And yeah. uh, there are the worst thing that we can do coming out of this pandemic is stifle innovation. The absolute worst thing. And and that's what that's 100%. what keeps, keeps me up at night because that's what I worry about. I, I worry, you know, yeah, from the government perspective of what happens from regulatory side, you know, and on the on the industry narratives, um, we we all need to do our part uh, to have this uh, this idea of and as opposed to or. Yeah, yeah I, I, that's kind of me. You know, and I, I'm a big believer in um, purpose. Right. That's. Yes. part of my mantra with my company, you know, I firmly believe you got to have your purpose before you find your strategy and, you know, you're not going to find your, you know, don't start with the strategy to find a purpose. I don't think, it, I don't think it works as well, right. but I think it's important that we recognize that the purpose is if we're going to have 2 billion or whatever the number finally turns out to be more people on this planet and we don't know how to deal with it. Right. right? Where we're not prepared for, we're not prepared for snow in Houston. We're not prepared for yeah. all these other things that are happening. 125 year, you know, water issue in California. So I appreciate your position. I appreciate your open-mindedness on it. Again, I love the and word, right? That's my word. And this is like, and so yeah. I think it's super important. Um, I want to kind of circle back a little bit to what you said um, with a couple other thoughts. And one of which is yeah. I know that, you know, COVID has been a game changer. Mm-hmm. for this entire planet, right? We don't need to get into that. I think we, I think it's very well covered, um, but it has been an issue, especially in DC. Um, so we've got this new administration in now. So 
Are you feeling at all like you're having any challenges getting messaging out now in this COVID environment with the new administration? Because nobody's in the office yet, right? I mean, that's the challenge is that, well, though, I think that's not just the challenge for government affairs folks. I think that's the challenge for employees and, and new political appointees too. So, uh, you know, it's, folks are starting, DC is opening up and the limits on, um, vaccination rates are really high here. So that's a plus. Um, and then, um, bars and restaurants are starting to lift the seating cap. And so even if you can't go into a government office, um, folks in the government are up for meeting for coffee, you know, and the right. weather is nicer. And so they're starting to be more human interaction or they'll come to um, our, my, our, my office is open. So they'll come to my office. So uh, that those kind of, um, that's feeling a lot more hopeful. Uh, but, but honestly with, I mean, speaking of technology and innovation, these platforms, Zoom and, and uh, team, Microsoft Teams, uh, they've been, they've made it tolerable. You know, being able to still stay connected has been really important, and, and, and using technology that people already have. So. Well, it's funny, right? It's, it's, we've embraced this, right? We've embraced the new normal. Yeah. So when you go back to what we just talked about, it's like, we can do it over here because we, you know, we have to, but we don't want to do it over here because we don't want to, right? The yeah, except or. for people, yeah, for people like you and me, like we need people. <laughs> we need to be around people. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough. My dogs are, my dogs are sick of me already. They're telling yeah. me to get back on the road. Yeah. yeah there's no, there's yeah. no doubt. Yeah. People, uh, my friends, they're ready to send their kids back to school. My kids are ready to send me back to work. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, I want to get into the administration a little bit because, you know, obviously climate is one we just touched on. But besides that, you know, you touched on a little bit. I like to get a little deeper thought process of just kind of how it works within mm -hmm. your your nine to five or your schedule about their current priorities and, and what you're really pinpointing in on right now based upon the fact that they want climate, based upon they're looking at some equality things. And these, these are diversity things that they're working on. Yeah. Yeah, so that you, you just you just touched on it, but labor uh, is a big is is a big piece. Mm -hmm. um, equality uh, in terms of um, equity and equality, uh, equity in how services, government services, are executed and implemented, and then equality in terms of addressing um, past discrimination, past and and sometimes not so recent past discrimination. And then mm -hmm. climate, um, climate, sustainability. And, and they're, it's interesting because they're really looking at the intersection of those, of those things. And so when you look at something like trade policy and you think, well, you know, I'm not really sure what the intersection would be there, but they are. I mean, they're looking at how, how workers and um, both getting workers and how we treat our workers and the products that we're buying from other countries and how they treat their workers. Um, it's, it's, impa it's impacting even how they're looking at it globally, how the administration is looking. Um, so they're taking that lens uh, and, and using that as their guidepost and, and things that the government, I think we'll see that policies that are promulgated out of the government will have that as the guidepost. What, what's, what excites you about the new administration policy? I'm not going to ask you what you don't like, because that's, you know, that's a gun yeah. in your head there. But I mean, what excites you? I mean, because every administration yeah. comes in, you know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 whether it's the, you know, class president in high school, everybody's got these great grandiose ideas about changing the world. And I love it, right? I love when we get 
that excitement yeah. back. I love when the country gets kind of rallied around a concept or an idea. We kind of pull together. I mean, it's you know extremely America. Um, yeah. So what's kind of what's kind of exciting you right now that you're hearing I'm, about? And it doesn't necessarily have to be ag, but just yeah, whatever. it's not. I think it's probably not ag, but I, I'm kind of excited to see what happens coming out of this pandemic in terms of um, our public health system. So you know, having worked at USDA in a public health regulatory agency. Um, I had a glimpse into some of the, the potential issues for having a fragmented system um, ahead of the pandemic. And, uh, and I think folks across food safety and public health will tell you that they had some similar concerns. Uh, we don't have a federal public health system because we have state public health partners that work with CDC, which is not a regulatory agency. And I'm really, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that coming out of the pandemic that there's going to be a real push to um, innovating when we talk about infrastructure, really the, the public health infrastructure in this country and um, understanding that state rights are a big part of what makes this country, the United States of America. Uh, I think that there's ways to really support infrastructure in states in order to be better prepared uh, in the future. And, and hopefully it'll be another 100 years before there is a, a public a health pandemic of this magnitude, um, but we can't get complacent. And so what are the systems and structures that we're gonna put into place, um, the government's gonna put into place to ensure that we're prepared? That's a great answer. And a very, you know what, and I and I have to agree with you 110. percent I mean, I think that it is going to be. Let me back up and say that this way: I hope that we take what we didn't know, yeah. and what we have learned, and grow from it. Yeah. Right. And not be this is what you know. This is what happened. This is what we know, and we're stuck over here because we're going to have to continually keep evolving and changing. And it's very hard to change 350 million people. Yeah. Um, but we've got to get down to these hard and, and sometimes uncomfortable conversations, um, you know, to get the ball down the field. I, I, I just put together something that I'm going to post up here about being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker and the difference between the two, where a peacekeeper is more about um, stopping something from happening, controlling something from happening, right? A peacekeeper is in a tank, right? But a peacemaker is somebody willing to get into the weeds and talk and solve problems and get uncomfortable. And it's yeah. a big difference between the two. Uh, and neither one of them actually tie that very closely to the word peace, which is even more fascinating to me. And I think there's a lot of that that we need to recognize that we need to do not only as a country, but also in our government is that we need to be working on being peacemakers, not necessarily yeah. peacekeepers. No, I, I love that. Um, I, I love that idea. And, you know, folks will say that there was all this politicization, politicization in the Trump administration. I would say that it's Sulora Formies. Sulora Formies. Uh, it's been political in this administration too. I mean, it's uh, when our when our science when our scientific messaging um, becomes political. I think we've got a real problem. But there's there's a there's a host of problems around um, false false narratives and uh, and social media, twenty four hour news cycle, always needing something provocative. I just think it's we can't let it change who we are you know, as a, a, an American, um, an American society, you talked about coming together. And, and I really hope that we're able to come out of this in a way that, that we have learned some lessons and, and move forward to, together. So, so let me ask this question. So when you're up there and, and you're facing the challenges that you're negotiating in DC, you know, it is kind of 
not only what you know, but who you know, right. um, which can help. But how does what we just kind of talked about this, this, this peacekeeping, peacemaking kind of mentality thing, how does that pose a challenge now? I mean, and is it posing a challenge? I think it's funny because in when I travel to the Midwest where my parents live, um, people have this idea of DC as being very polarized and actually it's not. I mean, right. there's, you know, I, I was a career employee for 16 years in the federal government. And um, so I'm not a real political person in terms of some government affairs strategists that you find served Democrats for a long time or Republicans or I was a career employee. But it's there. It is a melting pot here of all different ideas and political affiliations. And I really do believe that the media makes us out to be a lot more divided than we are. Um, but we all have we all have a role in this sort of peace process. Uh, mm -hmm. And and it begins with dialogue. It begins with talking to each other and listening to each other. And um, no one knows everything. Um, you know. For sure. Well, and it, and I think it goes back to where we. Kind of almost full circle where we started a few minutes back is is about why a strategist is important why it's important to have representation be a part of the process i think that america in a lot of ways forgets that they can be a part of a whole lot of the process that's involved in their own government oh that's right you know they just think it's somebody else's somebody else is doing it so hands off right yeah. it's really not that way no it's not it's not it's not that way and um, even when you look at some of the public statements that members of Congress make, um, the, the public persona is different than the private person. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, it's why the government affairs, it's another one of the reasons why the government affairs work in DC is important because when you can get to the private person and have a conversation with them, you often can change a position even when they've been out very forceful um, in a different direction. There are ways to save face and move forward. Yeah, I agree with that. And, I, and I've been fortunate in my career and, and even more so recently talking to people in D.C. And there's some really cool people that are very interested in what you have to say because they're interested. They, they actually have a high level of curiosity and they, yes. re they realize that there's a million people in their district that can be affected by things. And they yeah. think that through. There's a there's a passion and a commitment, I think, in public mm -hmm. service that, that people sometimes forget. Um, and I think sometimes um I don't want to soapbox it too much, but I, I think it's unfortunate that we don't give credit where credit is due to somebody that's been a, a lifetime server of this country in a government employee job, whether it be at USDA or whatever department it might be in. You know, it, it's it's it comes it, it comes with a lot, right? And it, it comes with a lot of pressure. They're thankless jobs. They uh, are. <laughs> they are. They're 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 long. They're you know. It wasn't until a few months ago, so I left in March 2020, so I'm you know, 14 months out now. It wasn't until a few months ago that I thought, wow, I, I, I really didn't realize how much stress I was under you know, in that role. But it's not just me, it's, it's, it's everyone because you're constantly waiting for the next thing that you have to address and, um, and then also being attacked by, you know, there's always people who are out, out there looking to attack and, and, um, and so there's just, it's, it's a, they are thankless jobs and well, folks that, that work in government are tirelessly for their entire careers. Um, they are saints. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that they don't, they, they seem to get a lot more credit for the losses than they do the wins in a lot That's of ways. Right. 
That's right. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this because I want, you know, it's part of that uplifting and I'm, I'm excited about the, the folks that have joined us and are going to be joining us to talk about this very thing inside of different departments, because I think it's important. People need to yeah, know, people great. need to know what, yeah. um, if, if you could kind of prognosticate a little bit, um, what do you think DC is going to be like in another year? Well, I mean, from a tactical standpoint, a lot of the, a lot of people have left. I mean, just left. They've gone back homesteads or hometowns and they're going to be allowed to continue to work remotely. So mm -hmm. the, the way government operates, I think has fundamentally changed. Well, we're going to see that this was a shift in time. Um, that was a fundamental change and we'll see how that worked out. You know, we've seen some other really major corporations try to do a remote work 100% of the time and, and, and hasn't worked and they've had to bring it back in. But I, you know, right now the government is identifying positions that can be 100% telework. Um, and so I think that actual physical people in DC, we're gonna see a, a reduction, but we're also, you know, there's other, there's other things coming to DC and industries coming to DC. So in that way, we'll have an influx. So I think it sort of will balance out. Um, I worry a little bit about not having as much of the in-person connection, just because I know how much can get done when you get teams in a room together and, and Zoom and Teams and, and other virtual platforms just can't, they can't offer that same uh, level. The Congress is a little bit dysfunctional right now. Um, and uh, we've got some, it, there's, it's, it's an interesting, the folks that you see in the constantly on television are not necessarily the people in any sort of positions of power, but they are sucking up a lot of oxygen. And um, what I'd like to see is much more bipartisan collaboration on things like infrastructure, um, but we'll see what happens. I, I, so I'm, I'm an optimistic person and I'm hopeful that we'll see some, some changes, but it's sort of to your point earlier, people have to lean into the process and understand that they, they, their vote, your vote really does matter. My next question um, is just seems so, uh, you know, it's, it's one I had kind of pre-thought through, but it seems so relevant now um, to me based upon our conversation. Um, Who's inspired you in your career to serve? I mean, where did you get? I mean, I don't think you—I don't think you were nine years old and said USDA, right? I think it's something that came to you or touched yeah. you in some way. Where did that inspiration come from? Yeah, so uh, it's interesting. Um, my uh, my my grandparents are are Hol were, were Holocaust survivors and immigrated to the United States after the Second World War. Wow. Uh, and uh, and my my grandfather. Um, always wanted to be an attorney. He was in school in the, in the Netherlands to become an attorney and, and that he didn't, he didn't realize that, that dream. And so I think I went into law, I, you know, I went to law school sort of to, as a family fulfillment, not because mm -hmm. anyone put that pressure on me, but just because that story is something that I'd always heard. And I knew his personality uh, to, to know him was to love him, but he was a debater. <laughs> so so, you know, he really, oh, that's what grandparents I do. I know my grandmother, she's still alive and she's turning 95, uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, but they, they really are huge inspirations of mine in, in my life. And, um, uh, my parents were both in, uh, sort of, um, uh, my, my father is a reformed church pastor and my mom is a registered nurse. And so they're both like caring, uh, professions. 
So I wanted to do something that was sort of going to change. I wanted to change the world. And it's why I moved to DC to begin with, but I had no idea what I would do and certainly didn't. I grew up in a, in upstate New York. So agriculture, air, agricultural area, but not with family who was farming or anything like that. Right. I just found myself at USDA, but I mean, I think for me, family has really been inspirational. Like my family is a really tight knit group. Um, and, uh, and wanting to serve and wanting to change things. And I, I still feel that way. I want to, I want to solve things, you know, that's, I want to move us forward. So that's beautiful. I mean, you know, it, it's, it is, it's beautiful. That is a fantastic answer to that question. It's, it's, it's amazing to me when you're around people as you're growing up that uplift you, yep. how it's so easy to continue uplifting throughout your life. And I think that's just such a powerful message. Thank you for sharing that. And, and, and to your grandparents, that is just an amazing story. I would, you want to get grandma on, put grandma on, get yeah. her out there with yeah. you. I'll, be, I'll, hang out with grandma for an, I'll hang out with grandma for an hour. We'd have a ball. Yeah. I'd love to hear right. her story a little bit. And I think everybody else would too. So at least me, I guess my next question, which kind of fits us. I love it. What, give me something in your career or otherwise that you're the most proud of today. Oh, I'm most proud of my children. Well, that's an easy answer. I knew that was coming. I am too, right? I'm more proud that they're off my payroll. That's the better part, right? But give me, give me, uh, give, let's go see. Ahead. Work from my, uh, from my, my work life. Um, I think that I'm most proud of the the team that I built at you at FSIS. So I kind of had a really unique opportunity to at moving up in my career. I served as chief of staff. Then I served as uh, chief operating officer, deputy administrator, administrator. So I had a period of like five years, five or six years where I was moving up in the organization at a pretty quick, quick clip, but I was able to make some, um, to, to really do some broad searches for executives as folks were retiring. I, it just, it happened that, you know, and you have this happening across government, by the way, where um, a lot of departures from retirements in the senior mm -hmm. executive core. Um, and so bringing, bringing a team together that is there, if you look at the FSIS team, it is diverse in every way that a team can be diverse and, um, and really setting up a governance process there that acted more like a corporate governance structure as opposed to typical bureaucratic. So that's my, that's my proudest. It's kind of boring, but that's my proudest achievement at FSIS. <laughs> you know what, though? It, it's actually not, to be honest with you. And, and I'll say it again. It's uplifting. Right. It's, it's exactly it, I see. I could see your personality and your words that you shared with us into that exact model of uplifting people. And I think it's great. Yeah, so you should be proud of that one. Thank you. I, and the I, kids, I, hey, don't get me wrong. The kids are great, too. I, you know, <laughs> I'm not I'm not trying to do you know, not going to get hate mail for that because I got yeah, two of them. Right. That's so right. That's I'm with right. you. I'm with you there. Uh, I think that's but, really cool. The teams. And I think this is important for for companies to. So I think this actually gets to the, the whole peacekeeping, peacemaking conversation also. We as humans, we sort of want to be surrounded by people who are like us because it's the least controversy. And right. we're drawn to people who are going to have um, uh, synergies with us. Mm -hmm. But you are so enriched when you surround yourself with people who are going to challenge you. And, um, and so I think I... I am constantly preaching that to my children. Um, certainly, growing up in the church, my gosh, you can't you can't show me a culture that 
is more strange than that. Um, just because you've got a you've got a place where there's all these different people and different ideas, and and it's a microcosm of the of of greater society. So that's where I sort of I came up in that environment. But it is um, it challenges you, but it's so important. So. Uh, to companies, I'm always telling companies that. And I serve on a lot of recruitment committees too to help folks hire. I love that. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you what, you've uplifted me and you've inspired me. And I'm, I'm grateful that you've taken the time to do this. I'm just, this is awesome. This has been great. Now I get to have some fun with you. You ready to have a little fun? Yes, let's have fun. Right, let's do a little fun. We're going to do a little TLC trivia here with you. And this is for big, big prizes, huge, huge prizes it's not really actually no um so i'm gonna fire off a couple quick things and we'll see what your okay. answers are and people okay. get to know you a little bit ready all right ready burger or a salad oh burger cheese no cheese cheese good girl <laughs> favorite favorite hobby or sport uh i love basketball good did you play <laughs> poorly you in school but it doesn't matter you played that's good yeah, yeah i did that's good do you like to cook do you like to cook at home or you like to go out more I uh, love to go out. Not I do fact. cook. I do cook, but no, no judgment. Just ask the question. It was. All right, I'm not going. Right, right. I'm, I'm not going down a dark trail there. No, <laughs> real, not going to happen. Dog or a cat? Both. Dog or a cat? Oh. Don't make me choose between my babies. Dog or a cat? All right, dog. Dog. You you got that right. <laughs> so what's? Let me ask this one. You're going. This one you're going to kill me for. What's What's the best present you've ever received? Best present. Oh, I'm ever. not done with the part you're going to kill me. That's coming after you ask this first. Oh, part. um, you know this is going to be sound so funny, but so I uh, I received a bouquet of balloons recently. That was the, like the best present I ever received. Nothing wrong with that. All right, that's that's killer. So let me ask part two of this question. Okay. Have you ever regifted anything? Uh, oh, I'm sure I have. Oh, so that's I'm just sure. a soft. That's a oh, soft that's baby. A, that's a softball. Yes, I have. I got a big family, Todd. <laughs> I love it. I love that question. I do indeed. I got to tell you, I, I am just, this has been a fantastic time. I've enjoyed you. I've enjoyed your company prior to this, but I've really enjoyed this, getting to know you better, getting to understand you better, letting you know everybody out here see who you are and understand who you are as a person. I think it's just great. You've uplifted me. I think you can uplift a whole lot of other people on the other end of this broadcast without a doubt. Oh, well, um, great. Thank yeah, you so much I'm, for I'm, having me. No, it's my pleasure. I got one more parting question for you though. Okay. Um, because I think that, um, you know, I think the process of being engaged is important, uh, no matter what it is, whether it's government, whether it's with your kids, whether it's at your church, at the golf course, it doesn't matter. But being engaged yeah. is important. What's the one thing you want people to know about Groundswell? Uh, really that whether, whether somebody is hiring me or another company who does work like mine, I mean, really that strategic approaches to a regulated world, which is the tagline of Groundswell mm -hmm. strategy, there's there, it's hard to, um, it's hard to underscore enough how important that is uh, as you're moving forward, if you're a regulated entity. Uh, so you know, it's strategy is important and doing it in-house or hiring out. It's just important to just constantly be re-engaging on, on that strategy. Hell of a good answer. 
Thank you, Carmen. I can't thank you enough again for taking the time and hanging out with us a little bit. Yeah. I, I just, I, I think the world of you and I appreciate you being here and sharing with us. Uh, open invitation, come on back, whatever. Right. We want to have you. <laughs> That's a done deal. I'll, you know what? I'll come to you to go hang out with grandma. I want to hear, I'd like to hang out and talk to her. I think that'd be really fascinating. Yeah, she's amazing. But again, Oh, that's so cool. Thank you. Um, All right. Thank you to everybody that's joined us as well. Thanks uh, for everybody stopping by again. Hopefully we made your car ride home a little better or if you're hanging out at the desk a little better, whatever the case may be. But we do appreciate everybody being here today. And uh, we look forward to having you back, Carmen, guaranteed. I'm calling, I'm going to email. As soon as we're done, I'm emailing you. Get in another day for you to come on here. Trust me. I'm going to hound right. you nonstop. Sounds Thanks, good, everybody, Scott. for joining us. All right. Chat soon. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed Carmen Rottenberg with Groundwall Strategy. I got to tell you, that was fantastic. To get some little insights and better understanding about what's happening in D.C. is certainly well worth uh, our time and energy and realizing that there's a way to be involved. Um, the government's here for us and we should be involved and we should uh, try to work alongside to try to uh, make changes that are positive for everybody and everything. So once again, thank you for stopping by. Um, don't forget, if you're on the audio version, uh, the audio version is available on all the podcasting sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, etc. Um, video version available on TLC.organic as well as YouTube, our YouTube channel. Um, certainly we'll be blasting stuff out on LinkedIn and these other social media sites as well. Uh, check out our Instagram page, our Facebook page, the whole nine yards. We're here. Thanks very much to our sponsors. Uh, we appreciate who you are and uh, being a part of the team here. And we look forward to sharing uh, more stories with you and more people that I think uh, are worthy of your time and energy. So thanks again. Appreciate you. Remember, be inspirational today. That's really important. Thanks. <laughs>